chapter 22 verse 30 and I saw for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it but I found none that shakes me to my core to think that God wants to do something in our land and all he needs is one individual to stand in the gap and make up the hedge I stated this in our last lesson but we're fixing to enter 2023 there's a lot of overwhelming questions. Look around. The economy, does anybody know what's going to happen? Politics, does anybody know what's going on? COVID. There's so many questions that if you literally get on the news, it will consume you trying to figure out what next year is going to look like. But I'm going to tell you right now, we can dismiss all those questions with this one question if we answer it right will I stand in the gap and make up the hedge am I going to intercede and am I going to disciple people no matter where I'm at I'm not talking about just here on this campus I'm talking about wherever God has you are we going to make a difference in our world that's it everything else I don't know the answer to but I do know the answer that I'm going to make myself available for God to use in 2023 God is calling for intentionality, not complacency or experience. Just someone who's available. That's all he's looking for. You available. Give an account for what God's done in your life to others that may need to know. Look, the church has been silent for too long. We got lions in the church and mice in the streets. We got to get out there and tell people how good God is. We got to go in the field and let them know how good God is. So one last time, a question that matters. A question that matters. God, I need you tonight. Help me to speak your word, God. Help me to lead, to direct, to guide, to give clear instruction. God, your presence is here. Your anointing is here. Bless those watching online. Bless those that are here in the building. In Jesus' name, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. If you love me one more time, give me a loud ovation. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Here we have Ezekiel being God's watchman. He's prophesying in Babylonian captivity by the river Kabar. But God has transported him in the spirit back to Jerusalem. Ezekiel 8 and 3. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head and the spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north where was the seed of the image of jealousy which provokes to jealousy Ezekiel must have been appalled at the sight of this pagan idol defiling God's temple this is supposed to be where the glory of God dwelled alone but here it is that these people are so fickle like that word I had to work that in all day I've been working on that all day they're so shaky with their faith 
that they've allowed paganism to take the place of where God's glory is supposed to reside. But this scene only, uh, only marked the beginning of Judah's detestable practices that caused God to ask Ezekiel, essentially, can you believe what you're seeing, prophet? Do you understand now why I have to leave my temple? And you haven't seen anything yet, Ezekiel. You think it's bad now. It's getting ready to get worse. And when we get to Ezekiel 22, we read that the corruption in Jerusalem had reached from the top of society to the bottom. The religious leaders were spiritually bankrupt. The political leaders were lost in corruption. And the people's hearts had turned to stone. There were no more conviction, consecration. Their, their sensitivity to God had diminished. It was more about show and image, not devotion and depth. They were shallow and superficial. If you go read Ezekiel 22, it's literally uncanny. Another word, boy, I'm on it tonight. I've been in my thesaurus all day. At the parallel of what's going on in Ezekiel 22 to what's going on right now in 2022. It's obvious that there is a gap between the people and God. But the solution is simple. God says, you got all this corruption going on, you got all this sin, all this iniquity, all this immorality, all these issues, all these questions. But Ezekiel, one question matters in the midst of all this. Can I just find one person to stand in the gap for me? Can I find one person that will stand between me and a wicked place? And say, I'll be the one that makes the difference, that makes a connection with the power of God, that brings the mercy and the grace of God to a wicked and defiled nation. There's power in one. Look at your neighbor say, there's power in one. You know how much power there is in one? In 1654, one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. In 1649, one vote caused King Charles I to be executed. One vote. In 1776, one vote gave America the English language instead of the German language. One vote. In 1845, one vote brought Texas into the Union. One vote. In 1868, one vote saved Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. One vote. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency of the United States of America. In 1960, Richard Nixon lost the presidential election by less than one vote per precinct throughout the U.S. One vote. In 2000, one electoral vote and one Supreme Court's court judge's vote gave George W. Bush the presidency of the United States of America. One vote. And you telling me that your praise and your prayer and your faithfulness does not matter? Come on, if this world only needs one vote, then heaven only needs one individual that will get their voice back, get their prayer life back, get their Bible out, start reading it, start applying it, and show up and say, I can make a difference. Revival takes one individual who is available and desires for God to use them. One individual that is passionate about praise. One individual that is unwavering in prayer. One individual that is desperate about a move of God in every service. One individual that is fervent about faithfulness. Revival takes one 
individual. It only takes a spark to ignite a fire. And one individual filled with the Spirit of God and determined to make a difference can turn your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, this community upside down. Now, I know what you're thinking. If one person can make a difference, why isn't Ezekiel that one man? Well, remember, he's looking for some, someone to stand in the gap in Jerusalem to prevent God from destroying it. But where is Ezekiel? He's by the Kibar River in Babylon. Ezekiel 1 and 1, in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. Now watch this. Visions are powerful, but they're useless if there is not someone willing to put boots on the ground and minister where God has placed you. We can get in this church and talk about revival. Listen, I'm going to give these numbers, not this Sunday, because Brother Michael's preaching, and he can share them if he wants, but I'll give them the next Sunday. We have baptized almost 200 people in Jesus' name in two years. We've seen people filled, refilled delivered, set free. God has done great things. And we've got more vision. How many knows that that's not the end? Come on, I need somebody to believe. That's not the end. God's not done. Does anybody have vision? I believe God's getting ready to do something supernatural. 2023 is going to be greater than 2022. I believe it. I've got vision for it. I sense it. I feel it in my spirit. But here it is. We can get up here and shout vision and shout what God's going to do. But if I can't get everybody in this place, including me, to understand that where God has you working, going to school, that's your mission field. That's the proximity that God has placed you in so that we can have revival. We can shout revival, revival, revival. But if there isn't people with boots on the ground that are saying, I'm going to go to this place and make a difference. I'm going to stop complaining about how bad it is. I'm going to stop talking about how, how negative everything is around me. I'm going in. I'm bringing joy with me. I'm bringing peace with me. I'm bringing anointing with me. I'm bringing victory with me. Now slap your neighbor on the shoulder. Don't slap him hard. Say, God wants to use you. That's why I showed up. I showed up tonight to see revival get a hold of one person. That's it. Because God is calling you. It's no one else's responsibility. It starts with you. Listen, I can't tell you the, the pressure of being a pastor. I don't want to tell you because I love it. I'm called to do it. I love it. I didn't like it the first three years, but I love it. Year 10, I love it. It's great. It was terrible first three years, but God helped me navigate all that. Now we're good. I love it. I haven't wrote a resignation letter in seven years. I'm good. <laughs> but the pressure that you feel, the responsibility that you feel to get up and deliver a word and make sure that revival is kindled. But can I, I be quite frank? I'm Josh, but can I be frank? <laughs> Been a long day, I'm telling y'all. It's not just the preacher's responsibility to bring revival. The question that matters is will you take ownership of what God wants to do through you? Because there are people that you're connected with that I'll never be connected with. And we rally in here and God does powerful things. But if it stops within these walls, then we put God in a box. God don't want to be in no box. So if God don't want to be in no box and we try to box him just within these walls, then the presence of God will not reside here for long. It will leave. 
And are you ready? You know why the Dead Sea's dead? It's got more salt than it's got anything else. If we got more Christians in this house and we don't have sinners and backsliders and prodigals and people that are broken and wounded coming in here, we're not going to have an alive church. There's a freshness when we understand that God has called us to seek and to save those which are lost. So you matter. Tap your neighbor one more time. Say, you matter. Look, I gotta have, you got to be involved with me. I got a long way to go, and I got 20 minutes to get there. So let me go ahead and tell you. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is frustrating dealing with people. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. It's frustrating investing, investing, investing. And then people continually let you down, let God down. But this is where you've got to get. You've got to get to a place to where you're investing because you love the kingdom of God. And you don't get offended and you don't get hurt. I know people that quit investing because they look and they say, you know what, I've invested, I've invested in 30 people and none of them's come to church. Well, you're not the Lord of the harvest either. <laughs> somebody sows, somebody waters, God gives the increase. Listen, it's my job to do what God's called me to do, but it's his responsibility to give the increase. I'm not going to get frustrated or worried or tired or wore out. I'm going to keep showing up. If you don't come next Sunday, I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be doing exactly what I'm doing tonight, loving on people, preaching the word. But here, here's what you got to understand. If you make yourself available, there's three things that you've got to do, three things. We talked about one of those a few weeks ago. You've got to have a daily prayer life. You've got to. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. When your prayer life goes to sleep, your past life wakes up. We can talk soul winning, we can talk church, all of that, but when you stop praying is the day that you start backsliding. Prayer keeps an altar of sacrifice in my life. It's impossible to pray and not change. Plus, a Christian's spiritual resources are available through relational communication with God. Preacher, how do I pray? Somebody holler at me. How do you pray? Talk to God. Repent every day. If you haven't repented today, you need to repent every day. Paul said, I got to die daily. When the call of repentance, that's what a call to prayer is. A call to prayer is, Josh, you got some things in your life that you got to lay on the altar daily. Because that old man's always knocking at the door. And he's waiting for one day that you don't lay that flesh on the altar and say, I'm tired. I'm tired of battling it today. I'm going to let God deal with it. I'm going to repent. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk with God. Pray. I've got to talk to him. I've got to have a conversation with him. I've got to repent. I've got to be honest with my heart. Because if I'm not praying, then I'm collecting all kind of baggage. Stress. I've got to cast my anxiety on him and my fears. And I've got to tap into the spirit. That's how you stand in the gap. You've got to intercede. You've got to, you've got to pray in the spirit of God. That's what prayer is. I talk to him. Tap into the spirit. And you heard me say it last week. When you pray in the spirit, you can't live there. I forgot. I was listening to somebody preach the other day. And I might have been Brother Billy Cole. And he said his wife was literally dying because she was living in intercessory prayer. Our physical body is not meant to hold up under 24-7 intercessory prayer. So I pray. I talk to God. I pray in the spirit. I feel the burden. I deal with things in my life. I cast all my frustration. Listen, 
If we'll talk to God, it will keep us from talking to other people about other people. It's that simple. It's that simple. And then I pray in the Spirit, but how do you end it? You always end with praise and worship. You lift that off of you. God, I give you glory, I give you honor, I give you praise, and I give you thanks. Secondly, the Word of God needs to be active in your life. You've got to have a prayer life, and you've got to have the Word of God. You've got to have the Logos. When you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, you're reading recorded stories, events, and letters that, we come, that allows us to come in contact with God's written Word. Hebrews 4 and 12, God reveals to us the nature and function of the Logos. For the word logos of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And I'm going to explain all this. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The logos is more than just words on paper. According to this passage, when I read this Bible, it's alive and active. How unique is that? People th that's why people think we're out of our mind. Because we're telling them we're reading a book that while we're reading it, it's reading us back. And if you're reading the Bible just to check it off your list, then it's not alive and active in your life. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to let it read you back. There's a force behind this word when you read it. And in, in order to accomplish a goal of being available, this is what the, the writer said. The writer said this, this is the book that's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what this book does? It cuts. It divides. When it reaches deep within you, the Logos goes about the job of dividing what makes up your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotion, and what makes up the new spirit that God has placed in you. This is necessary for living a life of victory because more often than not, your soul gets in the way of, your, of God's spirit operating in your life. Your soul is your thought process. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your personality, the way you were raised. Can I hear an amen on that? How many times has the way that you were raised got in the way of God using you in a powerful way? Oh, we're talking about it. Your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires often keep God's presence, truth, and power from functioning freely in you. And we often point to outside forces behind our struggles. But really, most of the time, our solution is right inside of us if we allow our spirit to dominate our souls, not our souls dominate our spirit. That's the word of God. That's how we produce the fruit of the spirit. We allow the spirit of God to control our emotions, our will, our thought process, and our life. And God uses the understanding of the message to cut through your thoughts, your habits, and your strongholds in order to remove their influence over you so that the spirit can have free reign over you. In fact, the Logos is not, only, is not only able to penetrate the invisible rim and divide between our soul and spirit, it is also able to discern and judge both the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Think about that. You read the Word of God. It doesn't simply address the action, but it tends to the heart and mind which propel the action. If you read it the right way, it'll tell you why, not just not to do that. It'll tell you what's deep in your heart and why you're doing that. It doesn't just say put that drink down. Forgive that person or turn, turn off what you shouldn't be watching. It goes deeper and focuses on the why behind the what. If we can get the why rightly aligned underneath the truth of the word of God, you won't have to tell yourself to put down that drink, forgive that person, or turn off what you shouldn't be watching. You'll be motivated to do those things. Because the word is it's dividing you, it's telling you. That's why we're doing the enemies of the heart. 
in February because I want you to understand the word of God opens you up to reveal all things within you. It exposes you like a spiritual MRI or x-ray machine showing the inner truth that outward actions don't always reveal. And we must remember to use it as a sword to divide, to cut in half, to show us who we really are. It fights against the distrust in our hearts. It battles against the complacency in our lives and it wars against our rebe rebellion. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Keep that there. Those things should happen in my life when I read the word of God. I should, I should be taught, I should have reproof, I should have correction, and I should have training in righteousness. I read and absorb God's word. Here it is. You might want to write this down because I'm getting ready to give you something that I do every day. I read and absorb God's word. Then I pray and confess everything in my life that is out of order according to God's word because God's word takes precedent over everything in my life. And I share my heart, my fears, my desires, my frustrations with the blessed and only sovereign. There's four R's when you read the word. You got to read. You got to mark the verses that speak to you. You've got to reflect. You've got to think about what I've marked. You've got to respond. Here's the deal. A lot of people read and they mark their word, but they never respond to it. What did that word tell you to do? I've got to respond to that. I've got to deal with it. I've got to say, you know what? That's, that's a part of my life I didn't even know was out of order, but it's out of order. I've got to get it back in alignment. Then I've got to record. I've got to capture what God has said in writing. That's the logos. That's the word of God that speaks to me, but there's also the rhema. I've got to hurry. The third point is the rhema. You've got to have the rhema. When Paul tells us to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, he's not telling us to take up the logos. Instead, he uses the Greek term rhema. Rhema simply means utterance, spoken word, or what has been declared. It's listening for God to speak in action to us because of the word. That's the rhema. My sheep hear my voice. Now, I told you, I, I've only heard God. I feel like I've heard God. I've heard my name called. On two separate occasions, and I feel like it was the voice of God. But I can tell you for certain that there's been times that I felt God lead, that my discernment picked up on God telling me, go here, do this, operate here, function here. We want his guidance in our decisions so we can make wise choices, so we listen with our spirit. We feel. You know what? I pray every day, order my footsteps. God, let me walk where you want me to walk and go where you want me to go, and let me be sensitive to the rhema in my life. Let me be sensitive so that I can discern what is your plan. Before you read the word of God, this is what you need to pray. God, help your spirit to enlighten me about your word. Help it to enlighten me. This, the Spirit reveals the deep things of God. God, before I study or before I pray, let your Spirit reveal some things to me as I read today. Because rhema is the action of the Word of God. The logos is the Word of God, but the rhema is the action of the Word of God. It's when I take the Word of God and I put it in action in my life. Simon Peter didn't walk on the logos. He walked on the rhema. When when he told Jesus, he said, Lord, if, if it's you, command me to come. And Jesus replied, come. And, and the word of God gave Simon Peter the power to walk on water. It brought forth faith and action. A person could have a Bible factory and publish thousands of Bibles every day, but never have the power of the sword of the spirit, the rhema operating in their life. 
A person can have great understanding of the message in the scripture, but still not utilize the power of the sword against the enemy. The sword of the spirit specifically refers to the rhema of God. The rhema of God is our offensive weapon, which is able to plunge quickly into the enemy and draw blood. It's just the book until you open it and you put that word into action. And you turn it into the rhema. And you release it into the atmosphere. And you let the enemy know, hey, look, this isn't just the logos in my life. It is the rhema of God. I am sensitive to the spirit of God dealing with me about the logos of God. It's the spoken word of God. And you could go all the way back to Genesis and read about the spoken word of God. But I will, I will say this. I will say this. Satan loves it when you say things, well, I think, or my opinion is. He relishes every time you say what my dad said or my mom said or my friends say. Satan loves to hear these words because he knows there's no power in what you think or feel or in what your family or friends say. But he'll leave you alone. He'll let you collect all type of information that you want to collect. He'll let you watch all these popular talk shows, listen to radio, get on the phone, get on social media, read emails. Because he's not afraid of that at all. But as soon as you start saying what God says, that's when he starts running. Satan isn't afraid of somebody that's got a Bible. He's afraid of somebody that uses the Bible. I love this, and I'm hurrying. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered him, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth. The rhema of God out of the mouth of God. The Greek word translated proceeds, as in proceeds from the mouth of God, speaks of a continuing nonstop action. It means something that proceeded from the mouth of God in the past is happening in the present and will continue to take place in the future. Jesus used the rhema, the utterance of God, to defeat the devil. And I'm telling you, if you go home and you turn this sword loose in your house, you'll, you'll start defeating enemies that have been terrified you down there'll be generational curses that will be broken sicknesses will be healed because it's no longer just the logos it is the rhema of God here it is you ready intake meditate and release that's what it is intake meditate and release and whenever you get in a situation and you don't know what to do go to the word of God go to the logos pray for God to give you divine wisdom tell tell him say hey God I remember as a kid I literally would say, I would go to the concordance and I'd be like, God, I need a word. Whatever word my hand lands on. Preacher, that's, that's, naive. No, that's naive. No, it's childlike faith. I need God to guide me. I promise you, unique things will start happening if you allow the word of God to be your answer in every situation in your life. I've got to make sure that I've got the logos and I've got to make sure I've got the rhema. When I use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, I'm on offense. I'm not on defense. That's another thing. Don't wait until something happens to you to release the word of God. I learned that. I learned that with my son. I waited. I waited. I, I, didn't, I didn't read the word of God just out loud daily in my house. I read the word of God, but I didn't release it. And I remember, I remember when his condition started, the Holy Spirit quickened me, and I felt such an impression on my spirit. And it says, what are you going to do? Are you just going to lay here? Not do anything, or are you going to stand up and are you going to fight? And you know what I told God? I'm going to stand and fight. 
But not only am I going to stand and fight for this moment, I'm going to make sure that I'm on the offense every day of my life. I'm not going to wait for something bad to happen. I'm going to get the word of God. I'm going to apply it to my life. You know what else is a part of the rhema and the logos together? Watch this. I've got to know the word because 1 Peter 3 and 15 says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I've got the answer. It's in this book, but I've got to release it. I've got to empower people if I'm going to be a part of the revival. If you are going to be a part of God using you, and you're going to stay healthy spiritually, emotionally, physically, you got to pray every day, you got to get the logos every day, and you got to be sensitive to the Spirit of God in your life every day. Listen, we can't do it only on Sundays. We can't do it only on Wednesdays. It's got to be every day. God, order my steps. Let me be in your will. God, let me be in alignment. In every failure of my life, musicians, you can come. There have always been two common denominators, a dusty Bible and a broken down altar. And he's calling somebody to make sure that those two things are active in your life. Every day, every day, every day. And I love what Brother Tinney said. Brother Tinney said, there's hardly ever a day that goes by that I pray an hour. But there's never an hour that goes by that I'm not praying. My mind is set on the Lord. What is revival? The word revival is not found in Scripture, but the word revive is found a number of times. Revival is, a noun, is the noun form. Revival is a visitation of God that awakens the sleeping. Revival is an inrush of the Holy Spirit. Revival is a season of refreshing. Revival is the drenching and showering presence of God. Revival is the renewal of the first love of Christians resulting in the awakening and conversion of sinners to God. The renewing of first love proceeds reaching our world. And a lot of us, including myself, have to make sure that that first love is active in my life. I need revival every day. I've got to examine myself. I've got to say, how have I failed God? How can I get back to him? And when we feel the lack of spiritual power, we need revival. We can't wait till we get so low, so down and out, so exhausted. So we decide we want to climb out and have revival. No, every day that I get up and I feel that that desire is dwindling, I need revival in my life. When we are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, we need a revival. When we find it easier to criticize and condemn than to pray, guess what? We need a revival. When we don't see the altars filled with hungry people, we need revival. When we don't see the baptistry filled, with repentant sinners, we need revival. When our hearts are cold, crowded, and corrupt, we need revival. We should all understand that we, in the, everybody in this place, every individual here needs a revival. I can tell you where revival will not be found. Will not be found where people are stirred but not changed. Will not be found where we want the blessing without the obedience. Revival is not found where we want sermons to shout about but not challenge us. Revival is only going to be found in the midst of repentance, sacrifice, challenge, soul winning, and travail. And it takes one person to start a prayer meeting. Hear me today. We shouldn't ask God to send revival. Instead, we need to realize that we are the revival that God has already sent. 
It begins with one person, one person that will spark a revival that cannot stop. It begins like it did with Moses as he prayed and the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt. Or Esther, she prayed and delivered her people from the murderous plot of Haman. Or Daniel's prayer that brought down the kingdoms of his day and magnified the kingdom of God. Or the prayers of Nehemiah that rebuilt the Jerusalem wall. Or the prayers of the church at Antioch that started a missionary movement. God is calling us. Just like he called Noah, build that ark. Every day build it because one day it's going to save your family. Rahab, you're going to change your genealogy. You, Rahab, one person. What if you're the key to revival? So I go back one more time to Ezekiel 22 and 30. And I sought for a man among them. He should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Not one. In the 1800s, Gypsy Smith was such a man who was once asked how, how to have revival. He said, go home, lock yourself in your room, draw a circle around yourself with chalk. Ask God to start a great revival within that circle. And when God has answered your prayer, the revival will be well underway. And God's on the search today for people like that that will stop pointing at every reason why they can't have revival that will draw a circle, that will be intentional and say, I'm starting with myself. Listen, 2023 is right around the corner. We do it every year. We start this whole month of prayer and fasting. We start every year. We used to do it seven days a week, and then it was six, and now there's so much going on that we do Monday night, Tuesday night, then Wednesday night church, and Thursday night, and then we fast the whole month. But can I be honest? Watch. Just watch. First couple of nights of prayer, this building will be not full, but there will be a good crowd of people here. And then you get to the second week, the third week, and the fourth week. Before long, that crowd dwindles back. Because excitement is great for a moment. But if I don't have a daily walk with God, I will lose that zeal and that passion. If I don't replace my thoughts with this word, and I'm not spending time talking to him every day, then it's not going to be long before I'm negative, condescending, cynical, talking about everything that's wrong. And listen, I told you, that past that I thought I overcame will start creeping back up little by little by little. So I'm going to do what Gypsy Smith said, and I'm going to answer I'm going to answer question that was asked in Ezekiel. Is there somebody to stand in the gap and make the hedge? And my wife lives with me every day. And I hope she can testify that every day I make an intentional choice to draw a circle. Before I do any counseling, before I call one person, I deal with the person in the circle because I cannot have revival if first I haven't prepared myself for it. I want us to stand. I want every eye closed right now for a minute as we stand. Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night? 
knowing that there are people that God has connected you with that if you don't reach them, nobody else ever will. I don't want to ever lose that. I don't want to carry that burden every day, but I don't want to lose understanding that God has purposely placed me and connected me to people so that I can lead them to Him. I'm going to ask you tonight, and we're not going to dwell here long. I know it's 8 o'clock, and I did my best to keep this message within 30 minutes. But I'm going to ask everybody in this place, from the platform to the back door, How's the person in the circle? How's the person in the circle? How's your desire? How's your spirituality? How's your vision? How's your faithfulness? How's your Bible reading daily and your prayer going? Because you, ma'am or sir, are the person that is going to make the difference people's lives that are around you. It's an unfair wait, some people may say. But when the clock's about to strike midnight, I'm glad that God trusts me. I'm going to ask you to lay your hand over your heart right now. We're going to deal with some things in the spiritual. Right now, we're going to deal with some things in the spiritual. First thing I want you to deal with and that I'm going to deal with is there sin in my life? Is there iniquity? Is there things that I haven't been willing to let go of just because it's got a hold on me? Has my soul been controlling his spirit in my life that it freely can't reign? And am I going to make a decision tonight to allow the spirit of God to govern my soul, my emotions, and my will? my habits, my hang-ups, my desires. Come on, you and God right now. 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 The second thing I'm going to have us do is I want you, after you repent, after you make things right with God, I'm going to ask you. It may be one verse a day. It may be 10 minutes of prayer, 10 minutes of Bible reading. But I'm going to ask everybody in this place, every eye closed, I don't want anybody looking around, if you'll make a commitment to daily prayer and Bible reading, just talking to God, I want you to lift your hand up toward God right now, not toward me. And I want you to say, God, I'm committing to you right now, every day. Come on, every day, God, I'm committing to you every day. Come on, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. All right, one more question, and I'm asking everybody to come to the front on this one, but before you do, if you're repenting, if you're still dealing with things, go ahead and do that, but listen. If you're going to turn your school, your workplace, and your neighborhood, I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about going and hanging door hangers every day in your neighbor. I'm just talking about making yourself available to pray for your neighbors, to pray for your schoolmates, your coworkers. If you will answer the call tonight to change wherever God has placed you in proximity and to help people find Him more, I want you to step out of where you are, 
and I want you to make your way to the front and I want you to say God I'm committing right now to being available for you to use come on I'm making myself available right now I'm me I'm not anybody else I'm not Pastor Josh I'm not Brother Michael I'm not anybody else I am who I am but I'm going to stand in the gap I'm going to plead the blood for my family I'm going to plead the blood for my community I'm going to plead the blood for my neighborhood. One question matters. Will you stand in the gap and will you make up the hedge? One question. on I want us to get refocused tonight I want our mindset to change come on we're recommitting we're going into 2023 God we're rededicating ourselves God, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to answer the call. God, I'm going to be there. God, I'm going to help. I'm going to lend a hand, God. How many of you know right now three schools, junior high, high school, elementary, three schools that are surround or close to you? Anybody know? Three schools that are in the proximity of where you live. Can I challenge you to do this? I do it. I do it for Albany and I do it for Holt, for my kids and for the administration there. This is what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to plead the blood over that school every day to pray for that administration to pray over the staff there and I pray that you'll release ministering and strengthening angels to that school that kids that show up there that are broken 
Listen, we've complained about the school system for too long. Let's stop complaining and start praying about it. We are the answer. If we'll pray, if we'll, you know what I pray? This is what I pray. Crystal's here. God, let the river of life flow through that school daily. That kids that come there that are depressed, they may not come from good homes, can feel love and support and like they can make it. How many believe prayer works? Come on, do we just talk about it or do we really believe it? All right, one more thing, and I'm going to leave you alone. So I'm going to ask you, start praying for some schools. Secondly, your neighborhood. Pick you out seven homes that you're going to intentionally pray over. And look, I told you, please don't go knock on their door. And when they open the door, start praying in the Holy Ghost. They need to get to know you so they can know Him. So what do I do? I make myself available to be a vessel because I've answered the question. I will stand in the gap and I will make up the hedge. If you've never had impact on anybody, you really don't know the reward that comes when you see people and their lives changed because you was willing to be a vessel to help them. I don't want to ever miss it. I don't care if this church gets to be 700 people. I don't want to ever lose that personal touch of wanting to care and help people. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river.